0: Uh, so uh, rumor has it there's a big game today. Uh, I, I, wanted to take, I wanted to take a poll because I, I've taken a poll every, the last 10 years, I've taken a poll and it's been interesting uh, because uh, we've never really had a local dog in the fight. So I'm just curious which wins uh, on this. So I, I always ask uh, with the teams that are playing, uh, so who today is rooting for the Patriots? Woo! Who today is rooting for the Rams? Who, who's just who's just going to a, a Super Bowl party to watch the commercials and get good guacamole? Now, now, guacamole has won 10 straight years. This is the first time that guacamole didn't win. And it's because we have, we've, got a, a, you know, we've got our own dog in the fight. And so some people were like, you know, Bill, you don't wear a Dodger jersey when they're in the World Series. Why'd you wear a Rams t-shirt? Well, the Dodgers are in the World Series every year. And so uh, they never win, but... Uh, but it's been 40 years since the Los Angeles Rams were in the Super Bowl. So if it takes 40 more years, I'll be dead. So this is the one chance I may get. So I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy it with you today. Well, uh, Mitchell gave you a, a question to start out the morning, which might have been, uh, felt like a little, uh, a little bit of a jump, uh, in your first five minutes into the service. But it, it's a, it is a good question for us to think about today, uh, because it's where the text is going to take us. Uh, we want to think about, uh, so what are you afraid of? Uh, you know, I, I thought it was really funny, uh, the, the things Mitchell gave you, uh, spiders. I was taking a shower this morning and literally a spider came like right, you know, you had that kind of moment. And, and I don't know if you, uh, follow Tammy Armstrong or missionary to Chad on Facebook, but you will get freaked out by her posts. Okay. Cause those are real spiders, not the little daddy long legs kind of things. Uh, what about snakes? How many of you, if a snake entered the room, you'd like, you literally like want to run out of the room, right? You're like got that Indiana Jones kind of feel like you can handle anything in life, but a snake. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, what the, what the thought is on that. Uh, I actually held a cobra one time. I, I, and when I was holding it, I asked the guy and he said, uh, I asked him about it, and he said, "I said this isn't poisonous, right?" He goes, "No, it's totally poisonous. Uh, the the antivenoms in the other room." And so I was like, "Take the picture, take the picture, take the picture." Take the picture. So it's not a very good picture. Uh, but what about things like, like failure? Uh, let's get a little deeper. What about failure? What about uh, something like rejection? I mean, think of the things that we are afraid to attempt. Because we're afraid we'll fail, or we're afraid if we enter into this that we will somehow uh, face rejection. Uh, uh, okay, so let's. All right, so just to freak you out just a little bit more. So this is a, this no not a, this is taking every ounce of strength in me right now. So this is a python from Asia. Now, I just was reading this. While we are going through the the polar vortex here in Australia, it is so hot that pythons are showing up in people's toilets and showers. So I want you to imagine this face next time you sit down on the toilet. Okay. Oh, my. Yeah. That took. Man. Yeah, having the, having the owners of prehistoric pets in your church is sometimes not a great thing. So there's things like, there's, the, there's the, kind of the things where you kind of laugh about being afraid of, but we also realize there are deep things that, that create fear in us. Uh, uh, things like loneliness or parents. How many of you are afraid you're going to screw up your kids? I mean, the, the fear is real. That's why a lot of you signed up for the spiritual parenting class, right? Like, man, give me something because uh, they need it and I need it. Uh, but fear, fear is a powerful force in our lives. It is a powerful force in our lives. It paralyzes us. It, 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 it can cause us to navigate away from the good, right, and true decisions that we should make. And so fear is a very real thing. In fact, fear is often the enemy of faith as we see in scripture. Fear is often the enemy of faith, and one of the most common commands that you will see in the Bible is "Do not be afraid." And so you'll see this command given to leaders like Joshua or Timothy. You will you will hear the prophet Isaiah multiple times reminding the people of Israel, "Do not be afraid, because God says He is with you." Uh, every time angels burst onto the scene, they start with that, right? And maybe for good reason, "Do not be afraid." Uh, I, I was reading uh, Lloyd Ogilvie as an author, and he uh, says that some form of the command to, to not be afraid occurs 366 times in the Bible. That's one for every day of the year, including leap year. Uh, God wants you to know you don't have to be afraid. Uh, fear was something that often kept the followers of Jesus from truly understanding who he was and and why he came and what he was capable of. And so Jesus was constantly working into those uh and working through those fears with them. And and, and if we're going to live life with Jesus, we have to live life with Jesus knowing that that we can face fear with his uh, knowing that his we have his presence with him uh, with us and his power with us. And so today we're going to do something a little different as we go through the, the, uh, uh, the book of Mark. Uh, Mark does something interesting as we think about living life with Jesus. He, he takes three stories and puts them back to back to back where there's this increasing set of fear, but in each story also an increasing set of faith. And Mark's been doing something. He's been trying to show us that Jesus is more than just an inspirational teacher or a powerful leader. Jesus is the son of God in the flesh with us. And so Mark wants us to see this very thing. And and so if we're going to live life with him, I want you to see, this is the big idea I want you to see with us today, is that life with Jesus means you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to feel afraid at times. That things aren't going to create a sense of fear in us. But we don't have to remain in that fear. We don't have to stay in that fear. We don't have to live in that fear. And you're going to see Jesus each time in each story. Try to invite the people out of that place of fear into a place of faith. And so today, uh, what I I want us to do is I want us to to see this unique way in which we get a chance to to think through these different stories that that life with Jesus means you don't have to be afraid. So we're going to watch these three stories work together for this. So turn to Mark chapter 5. Turn to Mark chapter 5, page 1006. The Bible's in front of you. Now we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 5, but Mark does something very helpful to us in that he gives us in the paragraph uh, uh, right before the start of chapter five, the last paragraph of chapter four, we have a story that bridges where we were last week and, and takes us to where we are this week. So you might have if you were here last week, we saw that uh, as Jesus is building us kind of a crowd that he wants to build more than a crowd. He wants to build disciples. He wants people who will follow him. And so he's teaching in parables and he's teaching to the crowds, but then he pulls his disciples aside and he explains uh, to him. And after this season of teaching, uh, Jesus is in this place. They call it the Bay of Parables. He's on the Sea of Galilee. He decides, let's go to the other side. And so they get into boats. Now, it seems that Jesus uh, gets into a boat. Maybe that's a little bigger than the other ones because it says that he goes down into the stern of the boat. He finds a cushion and he falls asleep. So whatever was happening up into this time, there's something going on that just creates this sense of of being overwhelmed and, and exhausted. Jesus begins; he falls asleep, and as he's asleep, this this storm overtakes uh, the boats. So much so that you have these experienced fishermen, this, these experienced uh, sailors who who feel the pressure of this of this storm. Uh, now, uh, listen to, to what it says. Uh, it, uh, and as you listen to all the details, one of the things I love about the details that are being told in this is that uh, legends don't have details. This is an eyewitness account. This is something, and, and uh, we were talking in the first week that most likely this is the eyewitness account of Peter. And so you got to imagine Peter, a professional fisherman, a professional uh, boatsman, a, a professional sailor. He's been on these waters. He knows, he knows these storms, but this storm is not like any other storm it says that a furious squall, the word furious, like this storm that was angry, came up against the boat. And in verse 38, uh, we read these words. It says that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now this storm has to be overwhelming if this is what they're saying. I remember uh, years ago, in fact, uh, my oldest son, Andrew, I think was only like two or three at the time. We went on a houseboat trip at Lake Mead and we were returning, getting ready to return the boat. And it's a huge lake. And I've grown up uh, around a lake uh, in my life. And so, but this was something, this was a totally different category of lake. And we're moving the, the houseboat across the lake and this storm comes in. And the wind and the rain and the lightning and the like this this. Furious storm it felt came in. And we I'm driving this boat and it's literally going boom. Boom! And I am, I'm, I'm afraid. Like, I, all at once, I'm thinking, wow, now I get it. I get, cause I, at this point, we weren't thinking how fun this was. We were actually terrified, and especially with our, our child in the boat. We didn't, we, the boat starts taking in water. We're thinking the same thing. We're gonna, this boat's gonna sink. We're trying to figure out how to, how to make it through. Now, I never once was thinking, boy, this someday will make a great sermon illustration. I was only thinking, how do we get to safety? And notice what these guys are saying. They're not saying to Jesus that we're going to have a hard time rowing to the other side. They're saying we're going to drown. Verse 39 says that he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Did you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Those of you who are teachers know that after a season of teaching comes what? The test. And, and, and the disciples have been around him. They've been hearing him. They've been experiencing him. And here comes the test. The test. And it's quite obvious that they are struggling. They are failing this test in this. They have forgotten who it was that was with them. They didn't remember his plan. His plan was, remember, we're going, let's go to the other side, not let's go to the bottom of the lake. Uh, he has a plan. He, had a, he was determined. They forgot who was with them in the midst of this. And in the most dramatic way possible, they get a chance to experience something. That Jesus has authority over everything in the physical world. Jesus has authority over the wind, over the waves. Jesus has authority over the physical world. It says that he rebuked the wind, that he hushed the storm. To to rebuke is to express this strong disappointment. You almost get the sense as the creator He's speaking against the wind with disapproval. He's, he's hushing the storm, the wind and the waves, like, like you would hush a, a toddler who's having a tantrum. And he's taking control over the whole situation. And you see that the fear turns, to, uh, it says that they're afraid. We see they're, they're afraid, then it says that they're terrified. It's actually a different kind of fear that's going on. That the end, when they see this, uh, what it's describing was, there was a sense of awe in them. They were overtaken by what they were seeing because who in the world obeys, uh, the, the, the wind and the, the waves obey? Who is this? They're thinking to themselves that even the wind and the waves obey him and they're overtaken by this, this moment. Maybe you are, are facing something right now. What, what, what storm are you in right now? What storm are you facing Now maybe a story like this is really helpful because maybe you've been thinking it seems like Jesus must have bigger storms to take care of or or you appreciate this story because it feels like to you that Jesus is asleep during the storm. And I want to remind you beyond seeing the storm, be reminded of who is with you. That Jesus is in your midst and nothing in this physical world Uh, doesn't submit to him. When he turns to the disciples, he asks them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they thought of him as a a teacher and a Messiah and a leader, but they had forgotten. They had not taken in. Despite all the things, think of all the things that they've seen. They have seen the blind see and the lame walk. They've seen the leper cleanse. They've seen the demon submit. They've seen all these things, and yet still they're forgetting who is with them in the storm. And so we can take comfort. Sometimes we do too. We forget who's with us in the storm. But the disciples lacked a sense of awe. And you and I need to have that sense of awe that, that, that at, at his name, wind, waves, everything submits. I don't know what storm you're facing, but I want you to be reminded, Jesus wants you to be reminded that life with him means you don't have to be afraid. He is with you. You don't have to be afraid. Now, they arrive on the shore on the other side, uh, and if you thought the storm was terrifying, the, the next story kind of pushes it. Mitchell was walking us through this story. So think of, think of the things that Mitchell was sharing. As they come to the other side, they're, they're met by a man uh, who has been oppressed by demonic uh, uh, powers and spirits. And, and this is kind of one of those stories where you read and it kind of maybe even feels more like legend. In our rational world uh, and scientific world, we have a problem reading stories like this. We want to we explain it off some other way. Uh, but I want to remind you that the Bible says this, that there was a mutiny in heaven and, and this once magnificent angel rebelled against heaven. And as a result, uh, the one that was magnificent became the accuser of the brethren and we, we call him Satan. And this, this one and, and, and those that have followed him, they, they have brought scars to this world and trouble to this world. And Jesus has entered this world to defeat his power, And to redeem everywhere he has brought scars. But I want you to see that there is something quite significant in this story that as this man comes, uh, he comes and and runs down. And I don't know if you caught it, as Mitchell was saying, uh, that as he comes, he comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus asks, what is your name? And the Spirit's reply is, Legion, for we are many. Now that, that word legion, uh, a legion of soldiers would have been about 6,000 soldiers. And, and so one of the things that struck me this week as I was going through uh, the SOAP process and thinking about this was I've always looked at this story and always kind of thought about this as, wow, no spirit can stand against Jesus. You kind of see this as kind of a one-on-one. But to think of this again, this is not a fair fight. This is this is Chuck Norris territory, right? This is one versus 6,000. And it is not even a fight, 6,000 demons submit to his name and beg for mercy. And Jesus, at their request, sends them out into these pigs. These pigs run down the the cliff, they run into the water, they're drowned. And the people that are watching this all take place, they're terrified, they run into the town, and they tell everyone. And the people come back, and, and they are confused with everything that is happening. Verse 14 of chapter 5. Pick up with me here. It says that those tending the pigs ran off and reported in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen, seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. They told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Notice what's happening. You, you see uh, two things that are going to happen. One, the people who see it, who they, they've had this man among them who was uncontrollable. They tried to chain him; they couldn't. So imagine this man. This is like a this is like a scary movie uh, uh, living in your life. And it, it, here's this man living in, among the tombs who's uncontrollable they have no power over it. and when they see what has happened to him they don't know how to explain it they don't know how to control it and so they ask Jesus you i don't know how you did this but you have to go you have to leave but the man who was rescued he asked Jesus if he can go with him wherever he goes It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed began to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus, Jesus has the power to turn your world upside down, or right side up. Jesus has this power in our life. And, and, and the power of Jesus will either attract you or repel you. But we see both in this story. Now, I, when I look at this story and I, I see this story and I try to imagine what it would be like to live in this story, I, I understand the fear that that these disciples felt and what it must have been like. So in, in my, my uh, line of work and in my, my days of following Jesus, I have encountered in, uh, these kinds of things many times. Uh, They're not things I try to talk about because I don't want to come across as some kind of sensational guy or anything like that. I don't want to share my ghost stories. But I've I've experienced these things and I've seen these things and I understand the way it raises the hair on your your arms and the back of your neck and the fear that it can create. But what I've seen every single time is also the power of this passage that every single time the spirits submit to him and to his power and what I've come to know is this great promise that John tells us about in 1 John 4, verse 4. It says that the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Evil forces always submit to Jesus. It is never a fair fight, even if it is 6,000 to 1. This is not Thanos versus the Avengers, right? This is not supervillain versus superhero. Jesus always, always has power and, and even 6,000 to one, they will, they will fall at his feet and beg for mercy. Jesus, we see in this passage, has authority over everything in the spiritual world. It's not just that he has authority over everything in the physical world. He has authority over everything in the spiritual world. You don't have to be afraid. And so let, let me push your fear maybe a little bit more. Where like this man, where do you see yourself like the man in the tombs? Where do you feel powerless? Uh, Where do you feel uh, uh, this sense that you have kind of lost a sense of control of what's going on in your life? Uh, A few months ago, uh, we had a weird uh, uh, experience at our home. My wife was walking the dog, and she came back to the house, and as she was walking in the door, this this young man kind of followed up to the door behind her, and he seemed confused, and what he was saying didn't make a lot of sense, and he was saying he was lost, and he wanted to use a phone, and it was just kind of a weird moment, and so my wife was very calm, and she was talking to him, but I got I felt a little powerless in this moment. I thought, "What? Wait, what's going on? Who is this guy? Why is he here? This all sounds fishy." And as I'm standing there, I'm in the kitchen. My wife's at the entryway, and right then I see this body, this person, go behind me in the kitchen window. And I'm like, "Oh, great, home invasion! We're going to get robbed right now!" And I'm freaking out. So I just grab in the butcher block with the thing closest to me, and I kind of slide over and I get next to my my, my glass door. And I'm like, "I'm I, like, I'm borderline pacifist. So this is not part of me, my character." <laughs> And I don't know what to do, but I'm out of, I feel out of control in this moment. And right then my son walks in uh, there and I'm like, don't ever do that again. Like you, you almost just got pierced with kitchen scissors. Like I didn't know what else to grab. Like I was, it was a, and he's like, oh, sorry. I saw mom talking to someone. So I just went around. I didn't want to interrupt. So I'm like, okay. But in that moment, in that moment, I felt powerless to protect my family and as a result of feeling powerless, I began to be irrational in the ways that I was responding. If you're in a crisis, don't call me. Call my wife, okay? Because she knew who was with her. And she was, always, she was calm through the whole experience. This young man was, was having a troubling day. He was, he was uh, troubled mentally and, and emotionally. And Kim calmed him down. She sat him down. She got his family's phone number. He'd been gone all day. His family was worried sick. And she could call the father. The father just continued, thank you, thank you, thank you. He rushed to the home and picked him up the whole time. Kim sat with him, talked with him, prayed with him. Why? Because there was a confidence of who was with us. See, life with Jesus doesn't mean you have to feel powerless. He's with you in the midst of this. And life with Jesus means you don't have to be afraid. So Jesus gets in the boat. He goes back to the other side of the lake And as he goes to the other side of the lake, the crowds are waiting for him once again. And as Jesus makes his way into the crowds, uh, uh, he is met by a group of people. Uh, Pick up with me in verse 21. It says that when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now think about this request. This is a pretty powerful thing because you have a synagogue leader, uh, a person of, of probably means and power and influence. Very possibly he's one of the people that has shown some resistance to Jesus but isn't sometimes the thing that we fear the most that the, we wanna help someone and we, we don't have the ability to do it and we, our fear is based on wanting to take care of someone else and what you see in this man is this fear that brings him. He doesn't know what to do to take care of his daughter. His means, his power, his influence can't rescue his daughter and so he lays all that aside and whatever resistance to Jesus and he comes in the midst of this crowd and he humbles himself, he falls at Jesus' feet and he begs him, please, Perhaps he had seen the miracles. Perhaps he had heard about the miracles. But he didn't care what anyone thought of him at that moment. He only wanted what was best for his daughter. And he falls at his feet. And I love the tenderness of Jesus in this moment. That even if this man was a part of the resistance, Jesus doesn't hold it against him. It says that he agrees and he, he begins to go with him. Now, it seems that there's this great sense of urgency that something, they, they, they've got to move. And so you got to think about this. They're moving in the midst of this crowd, And as they're moving through the midst of this crowd, the disciples are trying to do their best secret service and and clear the way. And everyone's pressing in on Jesus. And one woman in the midst of this crowd, she's been bleeding for a long time. She has this kind of condition where she loses blood. And so you got to think about this. If you're from a physical standpoint, if if her body is losing blood, she's losing life. She's out of energy. She's out of strength. She's pale and weak. But the scriptures also say that she has been spending all her resources to find something and nothing is work. She's out of resources. She's out of options. She's out of luck. She's desperate. And and, and the physical condition is met with a a, a social and and an emotional and a spiritual pain as well. because, Because of this condition, she is considered unclean and she cannot be around the community. She cannot be a part of a faith community. And so she is secretly making her way in. She doesn't want anyone to recognize her. But her thought, she has this kind of superstitious thought, if I just reach out and touch his garment, maybe, maybe I can be healed. And so she she's, uh, pushes her way through. She reaches out. She touches his garment. And immediately there's a sense of power working through her body. And she knows it. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus, as he's moving away through the crowd, He stops. And he says, stop, who touched me? And the disciple's answer is, yes, everyone. Everyone just touched you. You're in a crowd of people. We, everyone and no one touched you. How can you ask such a question? And he says, no, someone touched me and power went out through me. He's not just asking who was touching me, but someone reached out to me in faith in a way that something just happened. And this woman who was hoping to touch and run realizes she's been caught and she humbly comes before Jesus and she shares that. But Jesus, once again, here's the tenderness that you continue to see in this passage. Jesus looks at her and says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. And that phrase made you well is the same root word that we get the word salvation. He's not just saying your body is healed. He's saying your faith has saved you. And Jesus is giving her not just the, the physical blessing of what she was looking for, but he's saying to her daughter, there's a relationship that has begun with you today that will last forever. You ha- your faith has saved you. And it's this is powerful moment that is taken in. But of course, because of this powerful moment, Jesus is delayed. He's interrupted. And so the people of Jairus' household come to him and say, uh, say to him, uh, don't bother him any longer. Don't bother the teacher any longer. It's too late. Uh, join with me. Uh, uh, verse thirty-five. It says, "While Jesus was still speaking, some came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead." They said, "Why bother?" Notice the key word: the teacher anymore. And overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, "Do uh, don't be afraid. Just believe." And you hear him, don't be afraid. I know it sounds like I'm too late, but don't be afraid. Now the people of the house, you can see the, the picture of who they think they're dealing with. Don't bother this teacher any longer. What can the teacher do? Maybe he can give us some wise words on how to deal with grief or, or how to mourn. But the highest the that they can see him as a teacher. And so Jesus comes with them to the home. And as he comes to the home, uh, uh, people have already begun to mourn her. Uh, and in fact, you would have in that, that time, people would come. They were actually like hired people that would come and they'd stand outside the house and they would mourn. And that was their business. And, and again, this kind of uh, idea to Jesus of, you know, it's too late. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And you can see kind of this, this pushback that happens in the story that uh, these people who are professionals when dealing with death say to the author of life, what do you know about death? And what do you know about life? And Jesus takes the mom and dad and he takes three that he's training, Peter, James, and John. They're going to play significant roles in the start of the church and he wants to give them a special experience. And so he takes just those up into the room. And once again, the gentleness and power of Jesus comes together in a way that is just unexplainable. Jesus reaches out to the girl, takes her by the hand, and he says to her, little girl, get up. Uh, the, the actual translation would be more like this. Uh, any of you who are parents know this. Do you remember what it was like to, to wake your, your child up for school? And, and you, you came in, you, no, not smacking him like that. Uh, you come in and you, you, you kind of, gently rub their head, and what do you say? Sweetheart, it's time to get up. This is, what, this is the tone of what Jesus is saying. Little girl, it's time for you to get up. And she jumps to her feet. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, and they were completely astonished. And Jesus is giving everyone in the story more than they're looking for. The woman who was looking to be healed instead receives salvation. The, the parents who were hoping a fever could be cured instead have their daughter resuscitated and instead become disciples of Jesus. And, and I don't know if you saw this, but in every single story, as chaotic as it was and as frightening as it was, Jesus always remains calm. He's never rushed, he's never hurried, he's never panicked, he's never overwhelmed. And he is the one who is who we are joining our life to. And he is the one who we face a storm with, and he is the one who we face spiritual opposition with, and he is the one we face sickness with, and he is the one we even face death with. And he's saying, do not be afraid. And not only does Jesus have power, over the physical world. And not only does Jesus have power over the spiritual world, but Jesus even has power over death. Jesus has power over death. And, if, and if, if, if there's one thing we all hold in common is this, and if we don't have to be afraid of even death anymore, then what is there for us truly to be afraid of? What's over, overwhelming you right now? Maybe where where does it feel like Jesus is delaying? He's not getting there in time. Maybe the fear that you're dealing with this story resonates with because you feel like Gyrus. There, there's someone that you are afraid for, and it's overwhelming because you don't know what to do, you don't know how to help. I want to remind you that life with Jesus means you don't have to be afraid. And so let me ask you one one more time. What are you afraid of? Can you say it? Can you you put your finger on it this morning? Can you be open about it with Jesus? Life with Jesus doesn't mean you won't face storms. It doesn't mean that you won't get sick. It doesn't mean that you won't face spiritual opposition or, or even death. We will all face these things, but you will face it with him. And so as we close the service this morning, we're going to share in communion together. And and I want to do this because I want to remind you that the one who is with you is the one who, who hushes the greatest storms in life. He is the one in whom evil submits to. He is the one who even death can't defeat. He is the son of God and he is with you and he calls to each one of you, follow me, live life with me. And you won't have to be afraid. And so I don't want you only to see this morning his awesome power, but I want to remind you of his awesome love. Mark 14 reminds us of this moment that Jesus on the last night of his life as he was sharing a meal with his disciples, it says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says in a moment like this, that when this bread comes and when this cup comes, remember me. And remember this, that there is a day coming when when every storm will be hushed, when, when every sickness will be cured, when all of evil will be defeated, and even death will have had its final day. Do you know him? Are you experiencing this life with him as you were created for? If not, why not today? Why not today join us in following him? This is who we are. We are becoming authentic followers of Jesus Christ who love God, one another, and the world. This is who we are. And this morning, I want to invite any of you who have not made that decision to to decide that with us this morning. If that's where your heart is, then I want you in, in, in your heart to be able to say to Jesus today, I'm in. You have my heart, you have my life. I can't do anything about my sin. I can't defeat death. Only you can offer me life. Abundant now, eternal forever. To this morning, give your life to him. And I want you to join us. Because when we join together, just as millions of Christians around the world have have joined together today, we eat this bread and we drink this cup to remember him until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we come to this moment to remember you, uh, the power of your life given for ours that breaks the, the power of sin and death and hell for us, that offers us the gift of eternal life, abundant life with you now and forever. And so we receive these elements as a chance to experience your presence with us, to remember your sacrifice for us, and to build our faith to live this life with you. And so as we take these elements, Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, your body, your blood, uh, may every fear we have shrink in the presence of, of you being with us. Wherever we're afraid, Lord, help us admit that to you, surrender that to you, and allow you to begin a work Uh, that replaces that fear with faith. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.